never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome Christian Israel, Pastor Eli James, live streaming on Telegram and also Eurofolk Radio. This evening will be part three and the final installment of the uh, the gods of Eden by by uh, well actually barley uh, but the uh, whole idea that uh, Satan is not real was begun by Sheldon Emery so and Dave Barley was uh, following in the footsteps of Sheldon Emery so we're going to do a concluding episode on and try to settle this matter once and for all whether or not the Satan is a real spiritual entity, right? That does exist and does exist in the netherworld or in the supernatural, or whether it's just some kind of figment of our imaginations, which is what Emery and Barley argue, and, and some other non-seedliners. I'm not, I'm not saying all seedliners argue this point, but many of them do. And so uh, we're going to first... Uh, because uh, I see that uh, uh, people are talking about it in the uh, Eurofolk Radio chat room already that uh, there's a, a real problem with the Lord's Prayer as most people think about it in Christianity, even in uh, Judeo-Christianity. Yeah, good evening, everybody. Seven, Lily, Swamp Fox, JT. And uh, what I'm referring to is, let me just read this article. I put the link in the chat room, I'm pretty sure. If not, I'll, I'll do it again. In fact, I need to put it in the Telegram chat area as well. So let me do that real quick because it's pretty evident that the Lord's Prayer has been mistranslated uh, whether it's deliberate or whether it's just a matter of the Anglican Church tradition making evil be more of a, a what do you call it, uh, a, 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 a general thing or whether there is in fact an evil being that we should be watching out for in terms of the Lord's Prayer. So let's get right into it. Uh, this is the Lord's Prayer, Orthodox Church in America. And my understanding is that the Orthodox Church, that is the Eastern Orthodox Church as opposed to the Roman Catholic Church, has always translated the Lord's Prayer as lead us not uh, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. They personalize it and talk about an evil one, an entity who does evil. And this is by Father Lawrence Farley, who apparently was once an Anglican churchman, but now is an Orthodox priest. 
He says, the next petition in the Lord's Prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These two conjoined sentences should be considered as a single petition in Hebrew poetic parallelism, parallelism, like the earlier petition, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because in the Lucan version we read only lead us not into temptation. It is unlikely that Luke's version would omit one of the petitions of the prayer. It is more likely that he considered the bidding deliver us from evil simply as an expansion of the petition asking safety from temptation. There are some issues of translation. The King James Version and the Anglican Book of Common Prayer both render the final clause as deliver us from evil, i.e., deliver from the reality of evil, either from evil overwhelming us or us succumbing to evil actions or both. It is from these Anglican sources that this particular wording found its way into English culture, so that it is the most, most familiar version of the Lord's Prayer for many English speakers. However, he says, a more accurate rendering from the Greek would be, quote, deliver us from the evil one, unquote. Greek tau poneru, since the presence of the definite article indicates a personal reality, not an impersonal one. That is, do we not ask to be delivered from evil in the abstract, but from the machinations of Satan? Well, you can ask either way, and I think you can effectively pray either way. However, if the per, if the definite article is in the Greek, then the correct translation is deliver us from the evil one. It's talking about a personality, a person. And this morning on uh, Genesis Revelation, we talked about personhood, selfhood, uh, being uh, evident in the use of the personal pronoun, my my nephesh, normally simply meaning spirit, but when the personal pronoun is put in front of the word spirit, then it, it refers to the soul, my personal soul, my personal identity, my personal uh, uh, personality, right? The word Satan, though, it meant merely adversary in its original Hebrew, thus its use in Psalm 109.6, came to function as a personal name for the devil, thus its use in Matthew 4.10, 2 Corinthians 2.11, and Revelation 12.9. It would seem that the Lord did not want the personal name of the enemy to feature in the model prayer he gave his disciples. And so he used the circumlocution, the evil one, here. It is also possible that Luke omitted this part of the twofold petition from his version, since his pagan audience would be less familiar with the verbal usages and the worldview of Mosaism, of the, of the Israelites. Not having the figure of Satan in their mythologies, well, they had the figure of Satan in their mythologies under a different name. They might have simply found the reference incomprehensible and asked which evil one, <laughs> right? They're still asking which one, <laughs> which evil one are you talking about? Perhaps that is why Luke subsumed this last clause into the first one, summarizing it all in the world words, lead us not into temptation, okay? It is crucial for us to recognize the importance of spiritual combat and not pretend that the supernatural world doesn't exist. This is something that 
neither Barley or Emery got into great detail. Do they actually believe in the supernatural world? Do they believe in demons? Do they believe in ghosts? I mean, if you ever go to uh, you know, a, 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 a military cemetery, <laughs> you, you'll find people say, well, I saw a ghost. In fact, I could hear them. I could hear them talking. The, there are spiritual entities that defy the natural world. They absolutely do defy the natural world. Of course, the Bible is full of miracles and things happening, uh, like uh, the expelling of the demons from the various people in the New Testament, etc., uh, etc. Et the Bible is loaded with such themes. Are we to believe that these are illusionary? How about you know when... When Yahshua was tempted of the devil while in the desert. We'll get into that as well. But let's continue this because this is a really good article on the subject. As Christians, we do not simply face temptations that come from our fleshly appetites and the seducing applause of the worldlings around us. Now, this is certainly true. We are tempted by other people. We are tempted by worldly things. We're tempted by the flesh and uh, ideas that are, are, how should I put this, Seduct, seductive ideas that seem good but are actually very, very bad. <laughs> like uh, opioids, right? Yeah, they may kill your pain, but they will eventually kill you, etc., etc. Yeah, so there is a lot of evil in this world without having to refer to the supernatural world. However, that's not the limit and extent of it. A lot of this evil definitely comes from the supernatural world, as the author is arguing here. The challenges facing us come from the devil, as well as from the world and the flesh. Okay, so plus we've also been accused, we two seed liners have been accused by non-seed liners, as using the devil or Satan as a crotch to blame for our sins, so that we can blame him for our own wrongdoing. But that's not the case. I don't know any two-seed liner who uses the concept of Satan to shrug off personal responsibility. Uh, that I don't know any two-seed liner who does that. That's just a false claim. Okay. Now, there may be Judeo-Christians who say, the devil made me do it, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which devil? <laughs> the real devil or the buddy you've been cohabiting with, right? Let me repeat this. The challenges facing us come from the devil as well as from the world and the flesh. The evil we face is thus more potent and deadly than if it came from merely from men. For the evil that lurks in the hearts of men is mixed with at least some goodness in those hearts, since all men are made in the image of God. But there is no goodness left in the heart of Satan. In him we face pure malevolence. Malevolence made all the more deadly since it is combined with cunning schemes. As St. Paul said, quote, We are not ignorant of his schemes, 2 Corinthians 2.11. One also thinks of the words of the Lutheran hymn, A mighty fortress is our God. Still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Luther might have got a few things wrong from the Orthodox perspective, but he was not wrong about the craft and malice of the devil. So when Emery came up with this idea that Satan is not real and that the grave is just a lack of consciousness, 
uh, and that there's nothing beneath the grave, such as an other world, an underworld. Uh, I don't know why he would go that route, but uh, it's clearly not supported by Scripture. Clearly not supported by Scripture. So, but let's get back to the the document that that Lily put uh, forth because I want to get into the um, Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight because there's problems. There's a uh, in in this document uh, by Barley, and it's called the Devils of Eden. And he, he mocks the whole notion of a literal devil, literal Satan, throughout the, throughout this article here. And uh, Lily does a good job of critiquing his thoughts. And I have to agree, however, that for the most part, Ezekiel 27 is a reference to Tyre, the king of Tyre. It's all, that's all about Tyre. No doubt about it. Okay, that's all about Tyre. However, in chapter 28, starting with verse 11, we're talking about a completely different entity because there are the description of that entity does not fit the king of Tyre at all. At all. Because it's either sheer poetry or, as I like to call it, a double metaphor. Okay, a double metaphor. And uh, let's go right into... Let me bring it up here real quick. Even though the title here in uh, the Esword version of the King James, it's entitled A Lament Over the King of Tyre. This is not really what's being said here. Ezekiel 28:11. Let me just read it from 11 to 19. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, son of Adam. Take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith Adonai Elohim, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Now we don't know if these words are true of the king of Tyre. Uh, he might have been arrogant, <laughs> but let's, let's get the next verse. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of of God. Okay, so this could be true of the king of Tyre and only in a figurative sense, not in a literal sense. But then these next verses, uh, statements, every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper. This looks like, it sounds like the book of Revelation. The sapphire, the emerald, the, the, the description of heaven, the heavenly kingdom from the book of Revelation. It's telling us whoever we're talking about here was in the kingdom of heaven at one point. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in the day that thou wast created. Bara. Only Yahweh creates. The king of Tyre was not created. He was born in the flesh. Okay. To me, I have always read this as a double metaphor. Here, the king, king of Tyre is being compared to Lucifer. Next verse. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. 
What's a cherub? Well, it's a heavenly being. Okay? There are the cherubims that still, even today, guard the Garden of Eden, the, the spiritual entrance into the kingdom, and anointed, nimsha, in the sense of expansion, outspread, that is, with outstretched wings, anointed. This can only be true of the king of Tyre in a figurative sense, but covereth what? Covereth what? The, the only thing he covered was... The, the trade routes of from Tarshish and actually also to Britain, from Tyre to Tarshish. And th- that not without great difficulty because he had several enemies, including Alexander and the Romans and plenty of others as well. So he did not cover that territory. He covered the territory in his seafaring, but certainly not with power and might. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Okay. It can only be spoken of the king of Tyre figuratively. And that only regarding his own mercantile kingdom. Because it was, it was not a military kingdom at all. They had to hire mercenaries to, to protect them from other uh, you know, invaders and armies. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. That can't be true. I mean, even in a figurative sense. How, how could it be understood of a, a mercantile, uh, seafaring merchant empire or king that he walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire? No, we're talking about the heavenly kingdom here. Because this creature was created by Yahweh, not born into the flesh, as the king of Tyre was. Verse 15, Thou wast perfect in the way in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, again, bara, till iniquity was found in thee. In other words, this creature, which we call Lucifer, was a perfect being, until iniquity was found in thee. I don't think you can say that about the king of Tyre or any other earthly king. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And, you know, this this can be considered, you know, uh, figurative about the king of Tyre. But not the, the last three verses. The last three or four verses are clearly speaking of a heavenly realm, especially when the word bara, created, is being used. And, and he continues, And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. Again, there's the word cherub. I don't think the king of Tyre ever referred to himself as a cherub or anyone else ever did. Okay. And here, covering to entwine as a screen, to fence in, cover over, protect, okay? So at one time, he was a protecting angel from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So one of these days... Lucifer, 
will be brought down to earth in all his ugliness for earthly kings to see. And the king of Tyre, it's unclear whether he could have, he was laying before other kings to be beholden of them. I don't think there's any historical record of that. Verse 18. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all that, them that behold thee. So the fight, the fire in the midst of thee is reminiscent of Obadiah. Obadiah, when Joseph and Judah set fire to this kingdom. and But the kingdom of Tyre was pretty much de- destroyed militarily by the Romans. The Carthage was the last outpost of, of the Tyrians. And maybe uh, there was an outpost in Britain and an outpost in, uh, in Spain. But none of those are said to have been destroyed by fire. In fact, the Carthage, when the Romans... The Romans gave the Carthaginians an ultimatum. Either you surrender or or we destroy you and kill you all. And if you surrender, we'll leave you in peace. Well, they, they broke their promise. They slaughtered them anyway. And then they salted the fields of the Carthaginians so they would not be able to grow any crops. Well, I don't know how long that takes for the salt to wash away, but, you know, several decades, I believe. Okay. And finally, verse 9, All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. And of course, that's true of all earthly kings. But in this, this is highly reminiscent of Obadiah. And of course, the, the two times that the word created is used can't possibly be true, certainly not literally true, of the king of Tyre. So I think my... You know, my gut instinct of, about uh, both the, the episode in Isaiah and the episode here in Ezekiel is that we're t- indeed talking about Lucifer or Satan and his ultimate downfall because these these words, there's no way that the king of Tyre was ever in the Garden of Eden, not literally. So Emery and Barley would have to you know, say this whole episode is nothing but figurative language. There is no Satan. Don't try to t- t- teach me about a literal Satan. Okay. Well, but there's too many other places where Satan uh, Satan is used. Even the episode where Yahshua is confronted by Satan. Uh, Satan actually talks to him. But what earthly king is there that could promise him the entire world? You see, all the kingdoms that were spread out I was I spread out all the earthly kingdoms before you. Behold, you can have all this if you will worship me. If you will but worship me. Did the king of Tyre want to be worshipped? There's no evidence that he wanted to be worshipped. He just wanted power and riches. Okay? This is... Uh, so the, the comparison... The literal comparison that Barley tries to make here with the king of Tyre does not fit verses 11 through 19 in chapter 28. Just does not fit. Okay? 
So uh, that it's a real stretch to try to say these things are true of the king of Tyre. Just not true of the king of, not even figuratively, okay? It's a real stretch to say that the king of Tyre was created, <laughs> not, not born of a woman, okay? So these are the types of issues that Barley does not address in his in his article. Simply not there, okay? So he, he gives short shrift to the episodes, well, and he doesn't really even address that uh, you know the spiritual uh, you know, episodes in both uh, Isaiah and and Ezekiel here. Okay, so I believe we left off where he talks about, you get the picture. This tire had quite an extensive empire, did it not? Yes, it did. So does the devil. <laughs> the United States of America has quite an extensive empire, does it not? Yeah, well, we're, but we're not talking. The United States was not created. It was born. It was formed. It was made by people, by Israelites. So I mean, you can go on and on about other empires. Uh, they, they don't fit Ezekiel 28, 11 to 19. They simply do not fit. And then he continues, you're going to be brought down. Yeah, every, every empire is brought down. There's only one empire that will not be brought down, and that is the empire of the kingdom once it's finally established. God's going to take away your power and bring you, you down, Tyrus. Yeah, well... Yeah, but Tyrus was not in the Garden of Eden, <laughs> okay? And he doesn't go there. He doesn't address those verses, which uh, he also avoided the, the complicated issues in Isaiah. And then Lily brings up, to quote Lance Knight, the whole unclean, corrupt worldwide trading system is coming down. Yes, this glamorous ship of Satan is going to sink to the bottom of the ocean, even as far as hell... And remember in Isaiah, the, uh, the king was welcomed into hell by the beings resident there, <laughs> okay? That hell that he doesn't believe in. The same fate awaits the corrupt one world system of today known as Babylon the Great in the book of Revelation. She is soon coming down too. And she's quoting Revelation 18 too. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen, fallen twice because there was a previous Babylon and has become the habitation of devils. Hmm. Real devils or only human devils? And the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Tyre also became the habitation of devils and the hold, of, even stronghold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Okay. And uh, there's a link here for the study by Lance Knight. Tyre is a type of Babylon the Great, and as Barley is pointing out, these verses can be applied to either system, the one then or the one now. And that's that's perfectly accurate. Those comparisons are true. But he, he does not address the, the problematic verses, which can't be as easily applied to the king of Tyre or to Babylon. Okay? And so he says next, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. So who? So this is who? The prince of Tyre, okay? The prince, and uh, Lily says, the prince of Tyre is the type. 
see companion Bible inasmuch as the king of Tyre refers to Satan himself, and that this is a type. The characteristics of the type are the same characteristics of Satan himself, how he became corrupt, corrupted the nations and the children of God, and how he was created by Yahweh. Only Yahweh can create, and not created by the king of Tyre. Back to barley, thus saith Yahweh Elohim, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God, or I am God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God. Well, that, and that's true of both. Although, since Satan is an angel, an angelic being, a fallen one who once was a very high, pure, non-evil being, as was told to us in Ezekiel chapter 28, which could not possibly be true, of the king of Tyre, he has already fallen once, but his his judgment is not done yet. Okay, and he's still influencing the world. He is still influencing the world through his devil devil people in shoe leather. Okay, so anyway, he he can uh, he can he continues to go on and on about earthly kingdoms failing to address the problematic verses which I have already brought up, okay? So, I, uh, it's in the, it, the link is in the chat room. You can read it for yourself. He tends to go on and on about, you know, human empires n- not giving any credence to anything spiritual or supernatural in Scripture. Okay, so I'm just going to scroll down. Who's the lamentation to? To the king of Tyre. Well, yes, it's to the king of Tyre. However, verses 28, 11 to 19 are not about the king of Tyre. They're about a different entity altogether. He says, if I have to stress this as we go on here so that you have the right perspective, this is to the king of Tyrus. But again, he does not address those verses. All right? So, and Lily... uh, Lily says this is the antitype, uh, antitype being the fulfillment of the type which is Satan. The companion Bible states about the king of Tyrus, here we have a supernatural being addressed. He, uh, he of who the prince of Tyre was only a type. He who was using that prince as one of his agents to secure the world power. He is not a mere man as the prince of Tyre, see verse 9. His description, see the structure uh, verses 23 through 27 below the covering cherub wisdom and beauty etc is superterrestrial and superman superhuman and can refer to no other than Satan himself unquote and that's from the companion Bible and, <laughs> and and brother Barley goes on and he says why we're only talking about the king of Tyre we're simply talking about great power and wealth and mansions and palaces now he does finally address, thou hast been in the Eden of God. Oh, there it is, Brother Barley. He's been in Eden. He's the, he's the serpent, see? Of course, he's mocking the idea. Well, I'm sorry. That's not what it means, and you're forgetting who it's addressed to. The, well, verses 11 and 19 are not addressed to the king of Tyre. They're addressed to another being entirely, the one who was created, not the one who was begotten of woman, Okay? That's pretty evident. It's a really far stretch to suggest that the king of Tyre was created. I'm sorry. That doesn't work. 
And Lily comments here. Well, I'm sorry, but Barley is failing to comprehend the introversion and the structure of these verses that denotes the difference between the type and the anti-type. The Companion Bible is excellent in showing the structure of Bible verses so that one can readily see the subject and object being addressed in the Bible verses. This verse documents that it is not talking about the literal human king of Tyre, but it is about Satan. Also in that Tyrus means rock, we know from Deuteronomy 32.31 that the little rock, a.k.a. Satan, is not our rock, for their rock is not our rock. Okay? So anyway, so Emery and Barley have taken a hard line and refused to consider a literal, spiritual, supernatural, any form of non-physical Satan. They simply do not want to believe in such an entity. Yet, the scriptures are full of such entities. The scriptures are full of demons. They're full of devils and spiritual entities like angels that uh, make war. There's war in heaven. The war is still going on in heaven. What are all these references to heaven? It said, whatever is done here on earth is also done in heaven. What, what type of heaven is he talking about here? It's obviously that supernatural realm where all things are first conceived before they're brought into being in the f- physical realm. Okay? And here Lily inserts, I'm very sorry, Brother Barley, this is not what these verses mean. He's, uh, Barley is simply insisting that it's nothing but physical, uh, physical empires and physical wealth and kingdoms. But she says, I'm very sorry, Brother Barley, this is not what these verses mean. Verse 13 says, every precious stone adorned him. This means that Satan wore the stones listed in verse 13 are exactly the same stones that the Levitical priests of Israel wore on their robes. They're also recounted in the book of Revelation. Although the third row is missing from the Hebrew, it is found in the Septuagint. Oh, very good. Exodus 28:21, And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. Unquote. Verse 14 says he was anointed to this position by God. Satan was a high priest of God, even over the children of God in the first earth age. That world then was found in 2 Peter 3, 5. For those who want to learn more about the three three earth ages, see the plan of God by Lance Knight. And then uh, Barley quotes, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And Lily interjects here, Satan was upon the holy mountain of God. The seat of authority of the kingdom of God. In other words, Satan had a very high administrative position inasmuch as there was not separation of church and state in God's kingdom, or there wasn't any separation of church and state in heaven. The civil and the religious duties are united in that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but uh, but covereth. The, uh, covereth what? You know, th- these verses... So he, he just addresses one verse out of the problematic ones that I spoke about from verses 11 to 19. And he does not address the fact that this creature, this being, was created, not born. That's a real problem for this very earthbound interpretation. 
Okay. So, and then he says, thou hast been in the garden of God. Well, he says, well, that's figurative language. Okay. Well, that's what we would expect to him. Yeah. So whatever is supernatural or spiritual then becomes figurative for barley. He doesn't want to address the literal reality of an otherworldly supernatural realm. He just doesn't want to include that in his theology. And that's a shame because the Bible is literally filled with super, the supernatural stuff. Okay, for example, where, where did the uh, fishes and loaves come from? <laughs> When Yahshua started out with five uh, five loaves and two fishes, where'd they all come from? They materialized from another realm, or or are they or, or did somebody uh, bring a wagon load of fishes and loaves that are not mentioned in the verse? Okay, and so Lily says. Sorry, Charlie, that's not what this means. Verse 14 is saying that Satan walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, which are the children of Israel, as we read in uh, Exodus 28:21, I, God's children. These stones are called stones of fire because they are the children of God who is consuming fire. And again, bringing up you know, the uh, Obadiah verses. See Hebrews 12:29. for our God is a consuming fire. So anyway, so Barley does his utmost to uh, talk about things that are irrelevant, essentially. And I'm hearing the clicking noise again, uh, something. I'm having issues with my, uh, my uh, hotspot. So uh, let me just check in with the Eurofolk radio crowd. Okay, are you still hearing me the sound should be much clearer now than it was good much clearer now than it was because whenever i have a power failure which i had three power failures last night which really disrupted my broadcast however uh the recording uh was uh, was uh preserved pretty well and so that's already up on eurofolk radio uh, on the genesis to revelation uh I'm sorry, Yahweh's covenant people last night because there I was talking about you know, similar issues that we're discussing tonight uh, on Yahweh's covenant people and the, the, the reality of evil, all right? Okay, so, all right, so back. So, yeah, I hear a clicking noise which tells me that my hotspot, my hotspot is acting up. And it could be I'm just too far out in the sticks, but uh, we're getting through this pretty well compared to last night, okay? And, uh, all right, and Freebird says it's it's sounding good on Telegram. Thank you. Thanks for the feedback. Much appreciated. So, the, so who is the evil one? <laughs> getting back to the Lord's Prayer. Who is that evil one? Which is the correct translation, because in the Greek... It says it's an evil person, an evil entity, not just evil in general, okay? So this is what Emery and Barley tried to argue. It's evil in general or it's only evil committed by humans. And we're using Satan and the devil as a crutch 
to blame for our sins. No, we don't do that. No two Sudanese has ever done any such thing. Okay, that's a false accusation. Judeo-Christians may do that, right? So let's. Uh, how how was Yahshua tested in the wilderness? This is Matthew four one through eleven. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. What spirit? There is a spiritual world, folks. <laughs> as much as Barley and Emery try to deny it, there is a world of spirit. Unmaterialistic spirit. No stuff. No objects. It's pure spirit. Consciousness, entities, angels, devils, cherubs, you name it. The host, as I talked about last week, the host of entities that were created in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The hosts, an army of entities, of beings that inhabit both heaven and earth. The verse is very clear about that. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempt- <laughs> did, a, did a hot dog vendor come around <laughs> and tempt him with a hot dog? The tempter came to him and, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out from the mouth of God. Then the devil, the devil, not some earthly being, the devil, took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, can a physical devil take him up? Well, I mean, there would have been witnesses to that, right? Every indication here is this is a spiritual encounter that just as Job, in the book of Job, Satan and Yahweh have a conversation. It's also a spiritual encounter. There's more to this world than material things. Man, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Quote, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. But aren't we told that even the devils know scripture? <laughs> Probably better than than Christians do, right? The devil's no scripture. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. Are these angels fictitious entities also? And they will lift you up in their hands. Now the hands here are figurative. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Are angels real or are they not? Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And of course, we quoted the verse James said, You are you are not tempted of God. Do not say that you are tempted of God. You are tested by him. Okay. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Could the king of Tyre or the king of Babylon show anyone all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor? Obviously, this is a spiritual encounter. 
And then he says, All this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me, unquote. It is obvious to us that this Lucifer, this devil, this Satan wants to be worshipped. That's why he rebelled in the first place, because iniquity and beauty, he became so vain, he wanted to be worshipped. That's the clear lesson in Isaiah and Ezekiel. It's a spiritual entity, it's not a person, although there are people I know who want to be worshipped. <laughs> there definitely are people who want to be worshipped, but there's nothing to indicate that either the king of Tyre or the king of Babylon wanted to be worshipped, they had priests to do that kind of thing, to do the rituals. They they were happy being kings over, over their realm and giving people orders and bossing people around. They were plenty happy to do that. Jesus said unto him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, are these fictitious angels? Is this a fictitious devil? Is this a fictitious Jesus? He did die and resurrected in the spirit, did he not? Doesn't the Bible say he gave up the ghost, or that his body gave up the ghost when he died? Is there a spiritual reality or isn't there? That's the issue. And Barley and Emery do not address these questions. They simply do not address these questions because they don't want to admit that there is a spiritual realm called the underworld. I'm not sure if they believe in a literal heaven. They don't talk about it. So it's, uh, it, it, it deserves much more careful thought than uh, Emery and Barley you know, were uh, giving it, okay? And it, it's, a, it's a, a kind of a materialistic, uh, materialistic version of Christianity. I find it very strange that they simply give short, short shrift to all of, this, all of the spiritual reality. They don't want to address it, which tells me that, you know, they're, they're, they're hiding something, okay? <laughs> all right, so here's, Here's a final article on this subject. So, uh, job well done, Lily. Uh, you certainly uh, exposed that there's more to these uh, stories in Isaiah and Ezekiel than Barley wants to address. But this article is entitled, Ten Things You Should Know About Demons and Satan. Okay. And this is www.crossway.org. I'm not sure I put this in the uh, chat room, either chat room, but let me uh, put it here. Okay, and also in Telegram. The Telegram uh, chat room. Here we go. Now, I will be sticking around after the show today to uh, address questions on Telegram, and I'm going to try to see if the the uh, audio comes through on Eurofolk Radio as well. So I'm going to leave the, the broadcaster running. So let's get back to this. 
10 things you should know about the demons and Satan, okay? One, the author says, demons are fallen angels, or at least some of them are. Sometimes our theology textbooks state that sin first came into the world with the sin in the garden, but already there was a fall before the human fall. Thank you very much. The Bible says after the recreation in Genesis 1 and 2 that it was good, it was very good, but it wasn't perfect. Where did the where did Nahash come from? I wonder if Dave Barley would actually admit that the fallen angels of Genesis 6 are literal angels or whether they're just guys that fell off a mountain. I don't know. Okay? He doesn't address the question. He wants to ignore that question. Okay, the serpent came into the garden from the outside and with evil intent, Genesis 3, 1 and 2. The serpent questioned God's goodness by insinuating that God was withholding something good from his human images. Later in scripture, the devil is described as that ancient serpent, Revelation 20, ancient indeed. We have no way of knowing when the fall of the angels occurred, but the Revelation clearly tells us that one third of the angels fell and joined Lucifer in his fall. Okay. Two, demons have a leader. Satan is their leader. He was a cherub gone wrong, or he was an archangel gone wrong. Which was he? We do not know for sure. Michael and his angels defeat him and his angels in battle. So that's already happened. Michael and the archangels defeated him in battle and cast him down to this planet Earth. How long ago did that happen? There was a previous Earth age which resulted in the destruction of this planet the, almost in, in its entirety. And, uh, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, picks up the recreation, the reconstitution uh, of our planet after that catastrophe. So he was defeated by an archangel, Revelation twelve seven. Scripture has a number of titles in addition to Satan and devil that sum him up. Okay, Michael Millar, J. Erickson, provides a handy summary of them. Several other terms are used of him less frequently. Tempter, Beelzebub, enemy, adversary, the evil one, that's in also in the Lord's Prayer, Belial, deceiver, great dragon, father of lies, murderer, sinner, etc. Three, Satan and his demonic entourage have limitations. Satan and demons are powerful spirits. There's that word, spirit. Is there a spiritual reality beyond that which David Barley wants to acknowledge? But they are not omnipresent, omniscient, or omnipotent. Regarding omnipresence, demons can leave a man and enter pigs. All right, we talked about that. Okay. Regarding omniscience, angels, and we can safely surmise fallen angels also, do not know the day and hour of the return of the Son of Man. They dread that day, too. Regarding omnipotence, no angel, ruler, or power can separate the believer from the love of Christ, or the Israelite from the love of Christ, Romans 8.38. The diabolic aim is worship. Yes, Lucifer wants to be worshipped. The Jews want to be worshipped, too. But those demons in shoe leather have a leader. <laughs> A non-earthly leader, his name is Lucifer slash Satan slash the devil. 
It has been said that the world says to us, conform to me. The flesh says to us, satisfy me. And the devil says, worship me. And the Jews do want us to worship them. They will not rest until we worship them. But there are those of us who will not worship them. Sorry, Jews, ain't happening. Five, there are two important diabolic guises. The devil is a deceiver, Revelation 12, 9. The Apostle Paul warns the Corinthians that the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Paul is writing about the danger of false teachers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. These deceitful workmen are agents of the great deceiver. False teaching, false gospel, and false teachers still persist and trouble in the and trouble the churches. Okay. However, there is another guise that is not subtle at all. It shows itself in persecution. Peter uses a startling metaphor and application to the devil. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, of course, this could be true of humans and of a, a, a spiritual demon, demon-like entity that controls these people. What about demon possession? We talked about that last time. The Bible clearly states the reality of demonic possession. Jesus uh, 6, Christ is the victor over Satan. Uh, I don't think we need to go into great detail on that. That's that's given. 7, demon inhabitation is real. Demon possession is the stuff of movies. The Exorcist comes to mind as a classic horror movie. However, some scholars contest the use of possession to characterize a demon's grip on a human subject. These scholars, such as uh, the one that was dispossessed of the demons, were cast into the herd of swine. I mean, is that a fictitious episode? Who was Jesus talking to? Was that just in his imagination? The traditional descriptor is demon-possessed. I prefer the descriptor demon-inhabited. Mark 5, 1-20 provides an illuminating example. Jesus permits the demons to come out of the man and to enter the pigs, which we already discussed. Demon possession is real. There's more than one episode about demon possession in scriptures. Okay, eight. He says, believers. Well, believers, (laughs) what do you believe in? Israelites cannot be demon inhabited. No, the righteous. The righteous cannot be demon inhabited. Can the righteous be demon inhabited? This is a question which many ask. Theologically considered, it is hard to believe that it is possible that a righteous person can be both a dwelling place for a demon and a temple of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It certainly can't be both. Certainly not at the same time. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 2 Corinthians 6.16. However, there is every reason to believe that a righteous person may be demonized in the sense of oppressed by demonic malevolence. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. And you may, if you're weak, a weak person, you may succumb to it. Likewise, the devil may actively seek to harass a godly servant, as Paul tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. In brief, inhabited, no. Oppressed, yes. Possessed, inhabited. Well, I say they can be inhabited for sure. 9. The devil and demons have no future with God. Uh, That's pretty evident with us. They will not inherit the kingdom. Neither will homosexuals. 
that's true in Romans and 1 Corinthians 6, 10 or 12, I believe. 10, we may have a blind spot. Paul G. Hebert was raised in India but trained in the West as an anthropologist and missiologist. Is that missionary? What does that mean? He came to realize that his Western training had made him become unaware of the world of spirits, both good and evil, which the majority world has never lost sight of. He called this blind spot the flaw of the excluded middle. He thought that many Western Christians, oh, he must be, he must be talking about Barley and Emery, may have an espoused theology affirming angels and demons, but in practice have an operational theology that lives as though God and ourselves were the only intelligences. The blind spot will show itself in our prayers if we never pray that the risen Christ might continue to bind the strong man, as it were, and spoil his goods through the victory of the cross. Yeah, there's more to reality than simply meets our eyes and ears and senses. And I think that's a good description of the school of theology from which Emery and Barley emanate. They don't want to acknowledge the spiritual world. They certainly don't want to acknowledge spiritual reality where it comes to demons and entities. But there are too many passages of Scripture which assert that they are real and so they cannot be ignored. So let me call it the... the logical positivism <laughs> it's hard to characterize such a a belief system which you know acknowledges the bible but but only as a literal physical thing and gives short shrift to spiritual reality to me that's just it's just crazy from the very first moment that i heard that emery taught that satan does not exist it it struck me as being just very very strange and i still believe that okay so anyway uh, I think that concludes our study on you know and, and the the fact that Barley does not really do justice to those passages in Isaiah and and Ezekiel that which are I call double metaphors, which bring into play other things besides physical realms of existence. Okay such as the, uh, the demon of the, the demons in hell awaiting the coming of the king of babylon right that's what it says he does not he doesn't refer to that verse at all okay and then what about those verses where it says that this creature was created not born of a woman so uh 7x was Gerda Koch part of this problem with Emery I don't think so I think Gerda Koch was uh, you know, more dare I use the word liberal <laughs> in her in her theology. Uh, I think she believed in a literal Satan. But uh, yes, okay. So thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition, and uh, I'm I'm gonna stay I'm gonna stay on the air. Let me just double check my uh, butt broadcaster to make sure it's still running. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, there was an interruption, I see. There was an interruption, and, but very brief because uh, stream time is 21 minutes and 30 seconds, but I've been on the air for uh, an hour for sure. And so let me just check in the Telegram area what's going on there. Okay, so we have Lily listening, Rich and Miles Christie and Chris all listening. 
and all of those people, uh, I can I can unmute anybody from here, okay? And Lily, I know you can unmute yourself, and I think everybody can unmute themselves in the chat in the chat area of a Telegram. So if anybody wants to say anything, just go ahead and chime in. Okay, I know, I know, Miles, Christy, you wanted to say something last time, so let me just. just um, okay, Lily, okay, go ahead. I just gave everybody, I just gave everybody the ability to speak if they want. Okay, very good. Yeah, so, uh, and uh, I want to do they this. Have, they have to unmute themselves. Uh. Yeah, you guys can unmute yourselves. So just go ahead yeah. and feel free to do so. Go ahead. Hello. Yes. I wanted to introduce you to a guy. Okay. His, his, his name is Gern, and he's also starting as a pastor, as a okay. teacher, you know? Okay. He was in the chat earlier. I see. Okay. But he left. But I'll introduce, I'll introduce him to you tomorrow, probably. Tomorrow? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very good. All right, Miles, thank you. Okay, so uh, the other people here are Rich and Chris. So if either of you want to say something and, and Lily you know, can chime in, she's uh, she, she's co-admin of the channel here, so she, she can do whatever she wants. <laughs> All right. Just like the oh, devil. Please, please, is one of my Irish friends. Yes, okay. And she's starting to learn this message. Okay, so very good. she has a question for you. Okay, well, is she there with you? If she, yeah, she's in the chat. Okay. Chris, if you have some questions related to Christianity. Oh, it's Chris. My kind of it's Chris. Yeah. So does she know how to unmute herself? I can unmute her from here. Okay. I think I can. Oops, I don't want to. Each, each individual has a, okay. a button that they can unmute. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, I, I was wondering if the people in the Eurofolk chat room can hear the other people talking. It should be coming through on my broadcaster when somebody speaks in Telegram, which would be nice because that way I could just keep both channels open. Okay. The problem <laughs> is, though, we're hearing an echo. Oh, you are? So, okay. yeah, it's not coming through real clear like before. Okay. Oh, that's odd because I haven't changed anything, you know, in the settings at all, okay, because I'm still uh, broadcasting. Okay, so, uh, JT, are you saying yes to whether you can hear the people talking on Telegram? That's what I'm curious about, whether uh, people on Telegram are being, you know, who, who are speaking besides me whether you can hear them, because that would be nice, okay? So cause we can invite more people to Telegram to, you know, call in, not just listen, but speak. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Freebird says, I'm too tired to talk, okay? But I think, uh, yeah, actually, I was, I was being rather kind to both Emery and Barley. Uh, Clifton Emmeheiser did a study uh a no Satan study in which he just lambasted both Emery and Barley unmercifully. Right. I mean, I can understand people having a, let's put it this way. Okay. JT says audio on Eurofocus. Fine. Okay. Very good. 
Very good. So I don't know where the um, see if, um, see if JT can hear us. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah, yeah. JT, can you hear the other people speaking besides me? That's that's the question that I have, and so Lily was just asking that question as well. Okay, because if that's the case, I'll just let it run. Okay, on uh, on EFR and record the whole thing, including the question and answer stuff. Okay, JT says yes. Very good. Oh, cool. Okay. Thank you okay, very much. Okay, I have a comment or okay. a question I want to ask you um, about barley. Okay, and pro- possibly em- emery too. It's it's kind of difficult because I hear myself on this yeah. echo, but I'll try to. Yeah. I'll try to um Yeah. Ask you drown it out. Ask your folk to mute his mic if you can when you're talking. Miles, what are you saying? Mute mic on uh, your folk radio. Maybe if uh, if uh, Eli oh. mutes his mic on Telegram while you're talking. Okay. Uh l- let me try that. Uh but if I if I mute myself, will that kill the audio? Or no? No, then you can... No, just... Okay. Start. All right, so let me try that. Okay, so I mute it. Okay, so I guess... Uh, yeah, that's better. I'm talking now, and okay. I don't hear myself. Very good. Okay, I wanted to make a, a comment and a question. Um, both Barley and Emery are Christian identity pastors, or were. I think Barley's now deceased. I'm not sure about Emery. But um, the... It seems to me that this view that Satan doesn't exist, isn't there a mainstream um, Protestant church that holds that same view? And could it be that they've been indoctrinated? Um, I know they're identity pastors, but if they were you know, previously indoctrinated by some mainstream church, maybe that's where this carries over from. Um, Eli, what do you think about that? Okay, yes, that's a, that's a very good point. And uh, the article I quoted from very briefly, uh, the the uh, pastor who became an Orthodox priest stated that he was an Anglican priest. And he said that's the tradition he came out of. The Anglican Church downplays the existence of Satan. And so I don't know about the Baptist Church, because uh, you know, a lot of these guys are ex-Baptists. And uh, when they came out, and they, they bring a lot of Baptist baggage and Anglican baggage and all that kind of stuff. And there's a, what I would call a logical strain that uh, does not want to acknowledge the otherworldliness of the scriptures, even though the otherworldliness is obvious from beginning to end, right? From from uh, you know, well, well, who was you know the fallen angels in Genesis chapter six? Are you going to tell me that uh, all the other theologians are wrong? The, you know, the vast majority of theologians believe, as as is stated in Genesis, that these uh, these angels fell from their uh, first estate and materialized in, into a physical form. Okay, so that's what it says, and virtually every theologian on earth agrees with that and takes it literally, you know, except maybe Barley and Emery, right? And some of these, some of these Anglicans and, and some of these Baptists. So, yeah, it's a mixed bag. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, so if anybody else has a question, I'll mute myself so there's no echo. But uh, JT says there's no echo audible on Eurofolk Radio at all. The signal on Eurofolk Radio is clear. Even 
when you're speaking, Lily, and Miles also, okay? Yeah, so there's excess baggage from certain denominations that has been brought into Christian identity. Now, now for those you know, who don't know me that well, um, such as Chris, I come out of a Catholic tradition. And Catholicism believes in angels and ghosts and spirits and everything, right? And they believe in types of entities that even I don't believe in. You know, like they believe that if you pray to a statue of Joseph, he will be an intercessor. Of course, the scripture says we have only one intercessor, namely Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah. You know, so they're, so Catholics tend to bring a lot of excess baggage into identity. But I found that the Catholics I know in identity, they let go of their excess baggage and they clamp on to the the covenant message really hard because they don't like the excess baggage, you know, all the sacraments, the priestcraft and all that stuff, the excess baggage of Catholicism. Uh, people who come to identity from Catholicism just leave all that stuff behind. They don't want any part of that anymore, ever again. And that's where I'm coming from, okay? But nevertheless, uh, the, the spiritual world is real for Catholics. It apparently is not real for certain denominations of Protestants, okay? All right, so unless there's any other questions, okay, yeah, and uh, Freebird says, I left the Catholic Church when I was 16. You left a year earlier than I did. <laughs> I was 17 when I left, okay? And I never looked back. I never looked back at all. Okay, folks, so, uh, and uh, a good uh, study, uh, Lily, on a good critique of Barley's arguments, which are all very rationalistic, but uh, fail to come to grips with the those passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel, which talk about things which cannot apply to either one of those kings, simply cannot be applied to those except in a very vague and general sense, and in certain instances can't be applied to them at all, okay? So it's not true that those are purely about literal earthly kings. It's not true. And that, that's the point that argue that uh, David Barley is trying to argue. All right, okay, folks, so thanks for listening. Uh, I'd like to continue these, uh, you know, these sessions. Uh, I can certainly do it on Friday nights and Saturday nights, and to a certain extent, on Sunday afternoons because uh, uh, Sunday mornings are tight, really tight schedule for me. And I can take maybe a few questions after Voice of Christian Israel on Sundays, okay? But uh, other than that, it's Friday nights and Saturday nights when I have an open, open-ended schedule at Eurofolk Radio that I can do this. Okay, so thank you all for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition, and don't let the devil get you, <laughs> all right? Take care, everybody, and Yahweh bless. Bye-bye. Yeah, I bless. Yeah, Bye-bye. Bless. Bye.